You're listening to the 10X Your Agency podcast, where every Wednesday for the next 12 weeks, you'll be learning strategies on how to scale up your agency and grow your client base from successful agency owners who've been there, done it, and built a highly successful agency. You'll learn how they attract clients, what their biggest causes of client churn were, and what their challenges were at different stages of building their agency. My name is Marcus Taylor, and I'll be your host. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the 10X Your Agency podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Jonathan Anderstrom, who is the president of Creed Interactive. So today, I'm going to be talking to Jonathan about how to set company values, how to hire A players, the pros and cons of allowing a team to work remotely, as well as some of the effects that Jonathan saw after investing in an amazing office for the Creed Interactive team. So Jonathan, it's a huge pleasure having you here on the show. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, Marcus. It's going great. It's a cold and snowy morning here in Minnesota in the United States. <laughs> Not much better here in uh, in Oxford in England, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so to kick things off, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what Create Creed Interactive is and, and perhaps what makes you different as an agency. Certainly. Creed Interactive is a web development and design shop here based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. What makes us different is that we are able to go very deep on the technology side and mix that with a great user experience and staying on brand and on message along the way. So we're a great blend of design and technology. Awesome. So first things first, I saw that a couple of months ago, you guys have just moved into an amazing new office in St. Paul. So first of all, congratulations on that. I was just wondering what differences have you noticed since kind of upgrading the agency's work environment? Yeah, thank you. Well, the differences have been primarily just focused on our team. One of the things that we've done is uh, ranked our team, our clients, our work, and our growth in order. And we've done that to really decide where to focus. So we've decided to put our team first. And a part of that is creating a great working environment for them. So I've been a part of some very large glitzy agencies in the past that have used their workspace as uh, a new business tool to try to land large clients. And my experience has shown me that the clients don't really care where you are. Um, It can portray image, but what we found much more important is the actual working conditions for our employees. So at some of the larger agencies, they'd have these beautiful conference rooms, and then all of the employees would be in tiny cubicles in the basement, and it just didn't make any sense. So what we've decided to do is to really invest in our team by giving them a beautiful, wonderful workspace to, to work in. And so we actually purchased uh, part of a building in Lower Town, St. Paul, next to a, a new minor league baseball stadium. So it's kind of a trendy part of town. And we re- renovated it completely with in mind keeping the employees first and how they can work, how they can collaborate, how they can come together, and how they can produce the best work. And what kind of things have the team, have you noticed anything in terms of kind of productivity or anything kind of tangible? as a result of, of that change? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is the pride in which the our team members have talked to their friends and family about their work. There's a real sense of identity with having the space be theirs. And so it hasn't been uncommon for employees to bring in their friends and family on, on the evenings or on the weekends to give them private tours. And I think the respect that they've gotten from their loved ones has been at a different level. So with that pride of of ownership within uh, the team, I th- what I've noticed is that the work is elevated too. I've heard things around the office like, you know, we're leveling up a notch here and the old way of doing things isn't good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we need to 
to match our processes or our work product with our space. Those types of things that I think it gives management the opportunity to set the bar high and the opportunity for the team members to to meet the challenge. So um, it's, it's been a very positive thing across the board. Got it. And so despite having this this amazing new office, I, I noticed from your website that the I believe the team works remotely three days a week. I was just wondering what's, what's the thinking behind kind of, you know, clearly investing quite a lot in, you know, having this amazing office and then having the team spend the majority of their kind of working time outside of the office. Absolutely. So 10 years ago, I was at a conference where Jason Freeds, who is the founder of 37 Signals, and their company has written Basecamp and Rise and some other products, was in town speaking. And one of the topics that he discussed just briefly was the idea of what he called REM work. So REM work, he correlated it to REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, where all of your deep rest comes from. And he argued that work is the same way, that deep work is much more productive and lasting than highly interrupted light work. So what we've done is we've taken that concept and we've structured our weeks around having times where our team members can have deep work. And this is multifaceted, um, not the least of which is that we build really complicated backend web applications and it takes a lot of deep thinking to create those. So we've really focused on having passive communication on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And those are the, our task-oriented days where our entire team works remotely. So it's not that you can't collaborate, that you can't contact one another, but it's done in a passive way. So it's done via either email or in Jira or via Slack messenger tool. And each team member has the opportunity to block off sections of time to focus dedicated on tasks. So most people have experienced being highly productive in the evenings, late at night, on a weekend when there's no interruptions. And we've tried to build that into our everyday uh, work environment. The, the thing that needs to happen to make that work is collaboration days. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we really have those be as tight a collaborative days as possible. So our office is designed for high collaboration and we really use those days to have our stand-up meetings, our status meetings, come along one side, one another to overcome roadblocks and plow through any obstacles together as a team in efforts so that the following day or days, dedicated tasks can be assigned and completed um, when we're, we're all working remotely. Another advantage of that is on a day like today in Minnesota, here we got six inches of snow yesterday. And the roads are icy, and uh, everyone can get an extra couple hours of work in by not battling the roads and the traffic into the office today. Really fascinating. And what was it that kind of led you to three days? And I'm particularly interested in the, stru- the structure of kind of Tuesday and Thursday. Was there sort of some playing around with trying to find the, the kind of the right balance? Or did you start off with three days and, and have kind of stuck with it? What was the approach to get to that point? We've had 10 years to tinker with the formula. We're still tinkering with it today. So... We started off completely virtual, and what we found is that people got too isolated. Roadblocks would pop up, and without having the face-to-face communication, it was difficult to really have one put their finger on what the exact issue was that was creating a roadblock. And so we started off with one day a week and realized that wasn't enough, and then we went to two. That worked better. Recently, we've tried going to two and a half days, and what we found is that that extra half day doesn't help at all. So... Now we're ratcheting back down to two days again. And I think what we found is the Tuesdays and Thursdays 
You know, Mondays are really a great day to lay out the foundation of the week. And we actually have created a whole agency model where all work assignments happen on the Friday before uh, the Monday on two week iterations to so that Monday is really kind of a framing up update where getting all the foundational elements laid for the week and then um, identifying what risk factors or roadblocks or potentials so that on Tuesday we can tackle those um, in person. Wednesday, we can respond to the, the tasks assigned. And then Thursday, again, is another chance to check in. So it's been done very methodically and massaged over time. But we feel like this current formula works very well for our team. Got it. And how do you prevent the kind of work remotely policy being abused? That's a great question. Twofold. One is that each team member is given work assignments with time estimates, and they're tracked against that. And so we track each person's time. I think every agency hates entering time as a necessary evil, but since we have to do it, and most do, we really use that as an opportunity to, to track progress. And to be completely transparent, we have had individuals that have not been able to handle that level of freedom and autonomy, and they're no longer with our organization. <laughs> so, But by and large, most people love the policy. Even those that are hesitant at first to work remotely end up really embracing it. And the, that, that leads me to my second point is the way that we hire. Our, one of our core tenants is to build a tight-knit and talented team. And a part of that is hiring very talented self-initiators that value autonomy and control and really enjoy the ability to be a self-starter. So when we're looking to hire those types of people, it blends very well into our model. Interesting. That leads me on to onto my next question, which is one of the things that, that I think really stands out about Creed Interactive is you have this list of 20 beliefs on your website that kind of form your creed. And so this list things such as, you know, we believe employees of uncommon, I uh, believe in employees of uncommon heart and intellect to things like we believe that to think outside the box, you need to think outside the office. How has creating this list of beliefs and sharing this list not only internally within the team, but externally on your website. How has this helped you and the team? So we call these 20 beliefs our creedologies. And the reason we call that is because it's kind of a fun thing to call it. (laughs) Um, And the reason that we've created these beliefs is that the word creed means a set of beliefs. Coming from some different large agencies, which will remain unnamed, I saw some things that I both embraced and some things that I really felt like I could not be a part of in terms of pretty much blatant dishonesty with trying to win accounts or put a good face towards a client. And invariably, what would happen is that over time, the the veil would get fall down and people would see the chaos behind the scenes and the dishonesty that occurred there. And I just chose to not be a part of that anymore. And so when we started Creed, we really wanted to stand for something, and that's where these beliefs come from. And speaking with a, a retired uh, business owner who's been highly successful and has been a mentor to me, one of the things that he has really taught me is the importance of creating unwavering values within the organization. So these 20 beliefs on our website are somewhat lighthearted and fun, but what they are is the representation of our four core beliefs. And we felt like you know, rather than just handing somebody a a handbook their first day and say, here's their beliefs, and then never touching them again. We needed to find fun and creative ways to interact with these values. So the four values that we have is number one, that we are going to be a team that is wholehearted. 
That means being passionate about what we do. Number two, we're looking for people that are serving others, that are involved in nonprofit organizations that look outside themselves, put the team before themselves. Number three, we're looking for people that have excellence in their work and have a high degree of pride in the work ownership of what they do. And number four, we look for people that are resourceful. We're a lean team that looks for ways to do things efficiently, and we're looking for team members that can do that. So that's pretty straightforward to kind of rattle that through. Where it really hits home, though, is when you start making decisions based on those four values. And so we have those conversations all the time, including in performance reviews every year. When someone is up for a raise, we evaluate their performance against these four values and even list out examples and criteria on whether they get the raise or not based on how well they performed against them. So we've really tried to figure out ways to instill these values within the organization. Even as simple as naming our four conference rooms after our values in our new space as well has really helped too. So the beliefs we've we've had some fun with um, kind of illustrating those, but they really boil down to those four. And everyone on our team should be able to say those uh, with ease as we've really worked hard to try to kind of drill that in, into everything that we do. Amazing. No, I think that that's such a, a powerful thing. And, you know, there's so many, I think it was Simon Sinek had that really great TED talk. Um, about, you know, the power of having a strong why, like a reason for why the company exists and the, the values to back it up. So I think that that's really amazing. One of the the beliefs in your creed that, that I, I found particularly interesting was it says, we believe in moderation in the number of projects we take on, but not in the way that we commit to them. I was wondering, there's sort of these competing forces in this. Like, I was wondering, how do you balance not taking on too much extra work while still enabling the business to grow and develop and build its client base? It's been a challenge, and we do believe in that. One of the things that we try to do at Creed is flip the stereotypical developer who's locked in their basement and overwhelmed on its head by having team members that have an appropriate amount of workloads and are highly passionate in the work that they do. And that business model has worked very well for us. How do we balance not taking on too much extra work? One of the things that we've adopted is a process that we call agency agile. And so what our team does is that we create work assignments for all our team members on two-week iterations with a check-in at a midpoint. So every week, either new work assignments are happening or adjustments of work are getting allocated. The way that we've done that is we have a core team of individuals And then we have a group of contractors and freelancers as well. So in total, it's about 20 full-time equivalency employees, but that's spread out over, see, I think we have 14 full-time employees right now with two open positions that are being filled in the next week or two. And then we have the other four spots with a combination of dedicated contractors, freelancers, and project-based contractors to spread out the workload. So on the backside of fulfilling the work that we do, that's, that's kind of how we manage that. On the front side, we have some very firm new business criteria. We've been very fortunate to grow between 10 and 50% every year for now coming up on 10 years in a row. This year might be a little bit lighter than that, but as a part of that, we've really figured out what it is that we're looking for when a new client decides to join us. Because we're privately held, don't have any venture to capital and have no debt, we're only accountable to ourselves in terms of how fast we grow. So we've throttled our own growth on purpose to make sure that we are continuing to uphold all of our values. We really believe firmly that we do not want to water down our talent pool by trying to hire too quickly. 
And we want to make sure that we are bringing on clients that are equally passionate about the work as we are. And so as a result of that, we turn down at times more work than we actually take on in an effort to make sure that we're living up to the values that we have. And that can be painful, particularly if we're missing any of our numbers from either a profit or sales standpoint. But again, that points back to that we truly believe in these values that we've laid out and we're willing to sacrifice growth or profits to live up to them. And I think in the long run, that's really what has made us successful. If you look beyond the quarter, beyond the year, over to a, no, a decade of work, living those values is what has made Creed Creed and has helped us be successful. Mm, interesting. And in terms of where the, the growth is coming from, where the, the kind of clients are coming in at the top of the funnel, do you have a, a more kind of inbound sales focus or is it outbound sales? What's the kind of process around driving those clients? One of the most interesting things that we've experienced at Creed that's been different from other agencies that I've been a part of has been that once our clients join us, they rarely leave. <laughs> so we've had years of growth where our only sales or new business strategy has been not to lose any existing clients. And mm. we've done that and we've grown 20 or 30% that year with no sales effort at all. Wow. And so the reason for that is a couple fold. One is that is the type of work that we've chosen to focus on rather than focusing on campaign driven work or work that is thrown away after a short time period. We've really focused on business critical types of things, whether it be uh, customer portals or e-commerce systems or internal intranets or things that help our clients be successful themselves. And what we found is that as we've helped our clients be successful, they've been more than willing to invest more heavily in that success, which has in turn made us successful as well. And it's had kind of this flywheel effect where the more we've done that, the more our budgets have grown. And so, you know, this year, our largest client was a client the year before that and uh, tripled their budgets as a result of some of the work that we had done. So we grew slightly this year without really having any huge sales focus at all. So I think, again, it kind of points back to building these tight-knit relationships based on our values has allowed us to not have to turn and burn through clients quickly. We're able to just have a much more moderate approach to our sales and our new business activities. Amazing. And I'll, I'll sort of take a stab that if the clients are being retained you know, for so long, then I'm, you know, they must be happy and therefore more likely to be you know, spreading word of mouth and recommending Creed to, to other companies, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our best business strategy is when our clients leave their position and take a new job, they typically bring us with them to the new, their new place. And then we have two clients instead of one because <laughs> we don't lose the old one either. And so um, that has worked very well too. One of the things we have observed, however, is that there is a life cycle to every type of relationship. And after a certain point in time, it's actually healthy for us to turn over the work uh, on both sides. And so that has become an interesting dynamic when we're turning over work that we are very emotionally invested in on both sides and um, have just recognized that, you know, it's, it's probably time to move on. So we've been able to do that with smiles on our faces and with firm handshakes and able to transition them well, whether it's just the wrong size fits any longer or our businesses have uh, diverged in, in focus. Or, or whatever it may be. But, you know, after five, 10 years of working together at times, it, it does make sense to depart. And that can be a healthy thing. That can be a good thing. And we've done that 
very methodically and intentionally in a planned transition time. And I think our, our clients appreciate that and our team does as well. Before we go on, if you're looking to grow your client base and capture more leads for your agency, then I'd recommend checking out Leadformly. Leadformly is a lead generation tool run by yours truly that enables you to upgrade the forms on your website to conversion optimized forms that are going to increase your conversion rate and help you capture more qualified leads from your website. Using Leadformly, we've seen agencies capture up to 700% more leads. So if you're interested in giving it a try, we have a 14-day free trial that you can check out at leadformly.com. That's L-E-A-D-F-O-R-M-L-Y.com. Once again, that's at leadformly.com. So just going back to the the creed, I was wondering, what was the process in how you created that? Like, were, were the team involved in creating those list of 20 beliefs, or was that something that you led that approach? And, and is it something that is being shaped and changed over time, or is it very much kind of set out from the start? All of these beliefs have been there from day one. How we've chosen to articulate them has changed over time slightly. So these beliefs have stemmed from my personal beliefs which when you boil that down, comes down to my faith. And it's been very interesting because we have people of all different walks of life and faith and ethnicities and a very diverse group within our our team. One of the things that we make it very clear in the hiring process is that these are our values that we hold to. And if you're going to join us, you need to hold to these as well. And what has been amazing has been that from lots of different perspectives of life, all these individuals have signed up for these values. And it's given us a very common language to be able to speak to one another. In terms of how they are created, like I said, it's it's stemmed from my personal experiences and and beliefs. And we've iterated a few different times how we articulate those. One of the things that we did is we brought on a copywriter to help us express those. And with the help of a seasoned, very successful business person, in his mentoring, we spent the entire two years working on nothing but how to articulate our mission, our values, and our beliefs to our team and the marketplace. And what we found is that through multiple iterations of, of how we express that and working together with him on that, we've really sh- shaped our business and our focus and are, have said no to a lot of different opportunities in order to say yes to the things that we're very passionate about and have become the best in our small sphere at what we've done in terms of focusing. So are there any kind of beliefs that, you know, have come up in the, lo- in the past, past six months, 12 months that have been on your mind or things that you thought, maybe if it was a list of 21, we might add, um, might add this, or, or is it still kind of very much, you know, it's the 20? Well, one of the things that's been on my mind very heavily lately has been how we give back. So the second value that I mentioned was serving others. And a part of that has always been working with nonprofits within our group through reduced rate work, donations, and pro bono work. And one of the things that really hit home for me this year is that I did some international travel to Haiti this year, twice actually. And just seeing the need abroad and just the dramatic difference between the Western world and the developing world in terms of the quality of life has impacted me at a very deep level. And so one of the things that I'm continuing to wrestle with is how do we take what we've done and created here and use it for things beyond just what we are doing on a day-to-day basis. And so this year for our holiday cards, rather than giving our clients gifts, what we're doing is that 
we're giving them a donation amount that they can donate to one of the three nonprofits that we work with. And so we have a little microsite that they can go to and they can choose which of the three that they want to donate their funds to. And then we're going to give them an opportunity to add their personal donations to these nonprofits as well. And uh, we did this last year as well. What we found is that it's really created just a spirit of giving back across both our employees and our client base. And as we move forward, my desire is to formalize that in a way that we can really give some structure to and explain clearly. To date, it's been done very organically, and I think that's good. I think all these values have started organically, and then we've been able to put words to them afterwards. They're very authentic and built in, but I don't want to rush that and create something artificial just for the sake of being cheeky or clever in how we articulate ourselves. So that would probably be the one that we're wrestling with right now and they're trying to figure out what to do with. Cool. they no, really, really awesome. So what I want to do, Jonathan, is in a second, I want to go through a couple of quick fire questions that I've put together. Before we go on to that, though, it's pretty clear that the, you know, from looking at the quality of the case studies, the work and the culture that you've put together, you have very, very high standards with the team and, and you know, what you've put together here. I was wondering, you know, what are some of the things that you've done to ensure that you're only hiring these kind of A players at Creed Interactive? When we first started, it was much more difficult than it is now because what we've done is we've created a pool of very talented individuals that work at a very high level. And there's a flywheel effect that happens where talented people in the marketplace want to work with other talented individuals. And when they see that, we've been able to recruit a very high percentage of those recruits um, into our fold. Also, you know, friends of these individuals are much more inclined to join us when they hear from our team members how great it is to, to work with us. So early on, it was done through heavy levels of recruiting. So I actually spend more time recruiting than I do at sales, and I'm the only salesperson here. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do is we identify talented people in the workplace, and then we'll, we'll recruit them over multiple years. Or in the case of our creative director, he joined us a year and a half ago, but I had been re recruiting him for 10 years prior to that. And, and finally, the situation was such that it made sense for him to, to make the move. So it's a huge investment for us. But as I said earlier, we really value our team. We feel like our team is what's going to pour into our clients, which will pour into our work, which will pour into our growth. So we put as much energy as we can both into our existing team members and ensuring that our new ones are up to the task as well. And so our hiring process also lasts a long time. We've spent over six months at times in interviews, going through hundreds of resumes to find the, the very best that we can find. Got it. And being based in, in Minnesota, what's the, the talent pool like there? Is it, is it quite competitive with lots of other agencies around? Or, or do you find that you attract people from kind of East Coast, West Coast? What's the, the kind of situation there? Yeah. Well, it is um, below zero Fahrenheit here today, <laughs> so <laughs> getting people from the coast is difficult. However, what we found in the Twin Cities market is a highly educated pool of individuals, and so there's a great talent base here in the Twin Cities, and it is highly competitive, although most of our recruiting competition does not come from other agencies. If we're paired with an agency-to-agency -agency relationship, our values and culture win that most every time. What we found the higher competition with is startups that have product-based companies. In certain cases, some of the largest 
different technology firms. You know, uh, we compete with IBM, we compete with Google, we compete with Adobe, we compete with Microsoft for these individuals. And there's actually a negative unemployment rate here. So there's more positions than there are individuals, which means that, like I said earlier, we're always recruiting. So it is a very difficult spot. And it does actually limit our growth is our ability to, to recruit because we've decided that we're not going to water down our talent pool. And as a result, it forces us to be able to only grow at a certain rate. And what's the what's kind of the main pitch for Creed Interactive to a you know prospective someone that might be interested in or considering kind of Google versus Creed Interactive? What's the real kind of thing that they're going to get at Creed Interactive that they might not get at Google um, in your yeah. opinion? Well, Google's a little tougher one because they've uh, figured a number of things out. But one of the things that we have to offer is a high level of autonomy and control within our group. So because we're small and we work on large projects, most of our competitors are multiple times our size when we're pitching work. Each individual really has the opportunity to shape the technology solution, the process, the relationship with the clients, the end product in a way that they would be unable to do in a larger organization. That combined with a flexible work environment and working with highly talented individuals gives us an edge over most other organizations. Particularly Google, as you mentioned, you know, San Francisco, we did have one of our individuals decide that um, they wanted to try out Silicon Valley and headed out there and was out there for two years. And what we found is that after two years, they got burned out of the pace and the traffic and the cost of living of the Valley. And they actually came back to work with us again (laughs) after that uh, as a remote employee. So I do think that there is something to be said about having that level of autonomy, flexibility, and control that we give our team members. We trust them a lot and they also produce a lot. So it it works well for everyone. Got it. Yeah. I was speaking to someone the other day, um, actually from Minnesota. He mentioned also the, uh, there's this kind of Midwest work ethic, which is is also quite an attractive thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. My grandfather was a dairy farmer, and my dad grew up on a farm. And so when I was a boy, I was out in the country uh, hauling wood and taking care of animals and tilling the ground. And a lot of other individuals out here are that way too. So when you apply that same farmer work ethic to um, technology, it it really shines through. And there's some incredibly hard workers here in the Midwest. Awesome. Okay, Jonathan, so I want to move on to the, the quickfire questions. My first question for you is, what's your number one book recommendation for business owners? I'd have to go with Jim Collins' Good to Great. I know that Good to Great is a very popular one, but the hedgehog concepts out of Jim Collins' book has um, really helped us focus and has given us a lot of success and a lot of profits over the years. So I, I had that'd feeling, be the one. I had a feeling it might be that. I heard the word fly, flywheel come up quite a few times. I was like, oh, I bet it's going to be good to great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Second question. What's your favorite tool right now? Yeah, this is a pretty boring one. Being that we're a remote team, we use a tool called Harvest for time tracking. Mm-hmm. And that really allows us to track our team's productivity and identify any overages or red flags on team members' performance or anything that we need to watch or change quickly. So I think Harvest has been the most impactful tool lately. Cool. Next question is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to an agency owner who's looking to grow their agency by an order of magnitude, whether that's six figures to seven figures, five figures to six figures, et cetera? Twofold. One would be, oh, I guess I only get one piece, right? <laughs> so so it, it would be to do excellent work. 
growth for growth's sake is not helpful. You can be more profitable at a smaller size if you're doing great work and being efficient than you can at a larger size doing poor work and being inefficient. So the total annual revenue is less important than the excellence of work and the resourcefulness and efficiency that you have doing it. Great advice. You mentioned that your client churn rate was or is is very low. What were some of the biggest causes of client churn, more so in the early days when you're growing Creed Interactive? I would say most of the time is that we worked ourselves out of a job where we were able to solve the problem, put in the tools that the client can manage themselves, and then they were able to go off and running with that. Otherwise, they kind of stayed. And, and oftentimes what would happen is we'd set them up to go, and then they'd go for a couple of years, and then they'd need something else and come back. So the, the, the churn was basically project completion. And what's next for Creed Interactive? One of the things that we've really spent the past year on is capacity building between our space and our processes and our management team. So 2017 looks like a year of growth for us, and we have the infrastructure to be able to facilitate that. And so we're really going to focus this next year on some of our core systems that we've been working on, some of the portals that we've been building, some of the customer relationship management tools. And one of the trends that we've identified is companies wanting to have much closer one-on-one interactions with their customers and using technology to do it. So we're really going to focus on that this next year and focus on growing in that way. Amazing. Jonathan, it's been a huge pleasure having you here on the show. Some really fascinating insights around culture and how you've grown Creed Interactive to where it is today. If people want to learn a little bit more about Creed Interactive, what's the best place for them to learn a bit more? CreedInteractive.com. So it's uh, C-R-E-E-D, CreedInteractive.com. Awesome. Once again, Jonathan, huge pleasure having you here. And yeah, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 10X Your Agency podcast. If you're interested in acquiring more leads for your business, I'd like to invite you to a free webinar that I'll be hosting on how to acquire 300% more leads from your website without increasing your traffic. In this webinar, I'll be sharing how you can turn your website into a lead generation machine, four strategies on how you can boost your form submissions by 300% and much more. So if you're interested, all you need to do is go to Google, type in lead formally, acquire more leads. That's lead formally spelled L-E-A-D-F-O-R-M-L-Y, acquire more leads. And the landing page to register for the webinar should appear at the top. As I said, it's completely free and we run this webinar every single week. So once again, thanks for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned for next week's episode of the 10 Agency podcast.